Hey, so how's it, guys? Welcome to this week's edition of Burning Questions. I am Alex, and I'm standing in for my esteemed colleague, Mbali, who is on leave this week. And I'm very excited this week to be welcoming uh, an outside guest and a hero of the, the liberal revolution in South Africa, uh, Chris Hatting, who is the deputy director at the Free Market Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Thank you, Alex. It's a, it's a great pleasure and a great honor to be here with you. Awesome stuff. No, it's great, great to have you on. Uh, so, Chris, on this show, we we tackle questions that our, our fan audience have have asked of us, and this this question this week is a little bit more of a statement than a question, um, but it goes as follows. So, John Morera on Facebook commented on one of our posts, and he says, "The ANC has stuffed up every government department and every state-owned enterprise in South Africa. Why would the NHI be any different?" Okay, so 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 John here is not uh, holding back, um, and I, th I think there is some truth to to what he's saying, certainly. Um, but I think let, let's let's start for, at the at the beginning. Um, what exactly is the NHI? What does it stand for? So the NHI, in a nutshell, is a national health insurance scheme. It aims to deliver quality, uh, universal health care access for all South Africans, all fifty-five million, sixty million citizens. Um, from the FMF's point of view and my point of view, it aims to monopolize the management of all healthcare services in the country, so public and private sector. So if you think of anything healthcare related, physio, gynecology, I mean, cancer treatments, everything going to a hospital, all that stuff will be run by essentially the Department of Health. Um, there are some oversight committees and boards and that kind of thing that are part of the broader sort of legislation plan. But in essence, it aims to put all healthcare in the control, the hands of the state, so that the state can then ostensibly manage those resources to ensure that all South Africans get access to quality healthcare. Part of the reasoning behind it is that not all South Africans have access to the level of healthcare that some have in the private healthcare sector. So therefore, the government needs to step in and, uh, and di di distribute all healthcare in this kind of way. Okay, so obviously there are some some aspects here of you know private property, you know the right of individuals to operate as, as they please. Um, but I think one thing that some people might be asking themselves is, well, we have public healthcare systems, we have public clinics and, and hospitals. What, what, why does that model need uh, to be incorporated into this all-encompassing national health insurance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. I mean, for anyone, regardless of your position on the sort of ideological spectrum, so from left to right kind of thing, objectively, one can see that healthcare services in the public sector aren't what they are on the same level in the private sector. So mm -hmm. there's that sort of idea that by putting everything in this NHI scheme, it will bring everything up to the same level. From my point of view, the NHI will bring the public health case, uh, the private sector services down to the level of the public sector. If one looks at research that the FMF has done and also other organizations, and I recommend for anyone who's a bit of a data fundi and wants to dive into the numbers, you can go check it out on our website. But just a sort of quick comment, um, a quick analysis of the public health sector over the last 20 years about shows that in the public sector, um, there's been a doubling in real per capita health expenditure and an increase in public sector medical personnel of 42%. But when it comes to outcomes, uh, especially compared to other sort of OECD, G20 sort of peer countries, South Africa doesn't necessarily perform better. So just because you throw money into a scheme or a plan or the public healthcare sector doesn't mean that you get more bang for your buck, as it were. I mean, we've seen this with all the other SOEs. 
you can spend billions, but that doesn't mean that people on the ground actually experience better services. It's it's mostly, I think, about governance, about incentives, about placing the importance of the relationship between the medical provider, so the doctor, the nurse, the GP, with the patient. The more bureaucracy, red tape, um, third-party engagement you introduce into that relationship, the more you warp it and the more you're going to unfortunately ensure that the that the outcomes and the effects aren't what they normally would be in a in a free market of healthcare as it were okay yeah no for sure so i mean if we i mean if someone might say okay well you know surely if you know the the state of of the public healthcare service isn't as good as private um what what incentive lies to why why is private healthcare so much more superior to public healthcare service and even before I answer that, that, I should mention, there are definitely improvements that can be made in the private healthcare sector. So if one looks at the health market inquiry of a few years ago, there are different, definitely improvements that can be made around medical aids and that kind of thing that would be good, that would also help to lower prices, removing a lot of government legislation, barriers to uh, wealth creation, barriers mm. to hospital building, that kind of thing, certificates of need. All of that would help to bring down prices as well. So I just should mention that just because it's sort of, the dichotomy isn't necessarily between private and public healthcare sector. It's yeah. between efficiency and incentives and how the market should optimally operate. It's never going to be perfect. It's not going to deliver like quote unquote free healthcare for everyone, but you can bring down prices a lot more if it's just allowed to operate freely from like bureaucracy and cronyism and that kind of thing. So I think that's just important to, to keep in mind when it comes to healthcare specifically. I mean, it's a very technical involved field. Um, just as a as an interesting point, when when one looks at sort of the free market and people's issues with it and inequality and that kind of thing, I mean, I'm very happy that someone who studied medicine, for example, gets paid more than I do because they're an expert at what they do. They spend a lot of time studying and the market rewards them for that. People value their services very highly and then they should be paid accordingly. So there's the, the part of, of why private healthcare generally performs better is around incentives, um, expertise that people put in. The, the idea of investing in medical technology and personnel obviously is a quite a high barrier. So if you invest more, the chance of your return can be higher. And also there's just an incentive to perform better. So not that people in the medical sector, in the private sector get away with, for example, corruption or that kind of thing always. But when they do, there's more scrutiny on it because there's so much more money involved and there's competition. So when, when there's no government enforced monopoly, you have competition between doctors, you know, of all of all sort of categories. And if you don't like your doctor, you can go to a different one. I mean, President, former U.S. President Barack Obama about Obamacare said, if you like your medic, your healthcare, you can keep it, kind of thing. But Obamacare very much didn't result in that because it imposed more bureaucracy on the healthcare services that people could choose. Okay, yeah. So I mean. I mean, if we think look look at across the world where there are examples of this, you mentioned Obamacare, the much vaunted national health uh, health scheme in in the UK. Um, you know, we've been blessed with doctors from Cuba, and I, and we know South Africa has a very close relation. Well, the South African government rather has a very close relationship with with the Cuban system. For taking sort of looking across the world before we go and implement or attempt rather to implement this sort of scheme. What are, what are, for you, what are the major, um, let, let's start with red flags of what you've seen elsewhere um, and maybe some positive aspects that 
South Africa could benefit from such a scheme where it where we've even able to afford it I think we we do achieve I mean this will be interesting but we do achieve a relatively high level of, of universal health coverage in South Africa already I mean with the public sector the private sector what they manage to to sort of give across and provide is relatively good especially again when you look at how much is how much is invested in those in those different sectors and as I mentioned earlier how much the public sector spend has increased over the last 20 years, for example. If one looks at very stringent, quote-unquote, universal healthcare systems around the world, the two that jump to mind are Canada and the UK. Now, people have, quote-unquote, free healthcare there. They also pay very high taxes, so they don't have as much money as they would normally spend on investments, on other skills development, on other parts of the economy. And then secondly, the waiting times are incredibly long for more technical, complicated medical procedures. So, and we've seen this through COVID-19, so it's very recent in our minds. But when the state presumes to manage all the healthcare resources in a country, bureaucrats and departments of health and panels will have to make the difficult choices about who gets what. So in the UK and Canada, for example, if you're, a, if you're cl classified, categorized in a certain way, you get cancer treatment before someone else, even though you both pay into the system, you both pay the same kind of thing. That's just what happens with limited resources. And when when it's more in the private sector, those resources get better allocated. Um, there's a, a, a very famous economist, uh, Frederick Bastiat, who talked about unforeseen consequences. And when, I mean, it's, it's noble and altruistic from one point of view that government wants to provide healthcare for everyone, but the misallocation of resources means that those who do get it pay more for it and there's less of it to go around. So finite resources. I mean, think of doctors and nurses and medical equipment as finite resources. Those things have to be provided, paid for, invested in uh, May. Just because you have a right, quote-unquote, to healthcare doesn't mean you have a right to a doctor's life, to a doctor's time, to a doctor's expertise. He still has to get paid. And when the state decides that it's going to tell doctors how much they can get paid for, where they may work, as the NHI would propose, that's going to drive certain doctors and nurses away, leading to lower resources in that sector and, again, more concentrated resources that only possibly the politically connected have access to. Just north of our border in Zimbabwe, former president uh, Robert Mugabe, he famously went to Singapore and other countries for his healthcare services because the healthcare in his own country was so bad. It is my view that if the NHI gets implemented, it'll drive away so many health, so many doctors and nurses and just general medical investment and progress that only the politically connected and the really wealthy will have the necessary resources to go overseas, maybe like to Dubai, or the US or Singapore to get the healthcare that they need, leaving the vast majority of South Africans to just go to the public sector. Mm, mm, mm. And I mean, I mean, we've got our own deputy president who I think spends more time in Russia seeking medical treatment than he does governing uh, or assisting to, to govern the country. Um, so maybe he, he could benefit from, from, uh, from, from the NHI. Um, but Chris, I, I, want, I want to, let's talk more about very briefly what an alter okay an alternative to 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 the NHI, which I, I think in in the frame of of uh, John's question is, would be essentially the ESCOM of healthcare, which is a pretty frightening concept um, to 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 think about. Um, but for instance, there have been some ideas of sort of creating a maybe a voucher system where instead of the money, because obviously the NHI would cost cost billions of brands that South Africa frankly cannot afford. Um, what are the, some, of, some of the alternatives, I mean, aside from just simply not implementing it, what alternatives do you think South Africa could take 
um, to ultimately improve healthcare um, for for the majority of, of the population. Yeah, and just on John's John's question, which I think is very apt, and and as you said, really cuts the bone about talking about the the role of of the ANC and the current government. We should also keep in mind this this is going to be a disaster regardless of who's in power. This sort of this sort of scheme that gives any politicians or bureaucrats this kind of power over healthcare will result in in bad outcomes regardless. So don't even always try and think. I mean, again, no matter where you are on the spectrum, just try and think about. If your worst political opponents, if you're on the left and Donald Trump got in charge of this, the power that he would have over your health care, you wouldn't want the government in that guise to have that power. So we shouldn't grant that power and impose these schemes in the first place. Just in terms of sort of alternatives and increasing access to health care, the FMF has done quite a bit of work on this over the over many years. Um, as you mentioned, the voucher system would be a very good one. It could be means tested. It could be not that we as free marketeers and liberals necessarily want to advocate for more healthcare, but at least if, if, if uh, uh, for welfare, if welfare was maybe streamlined and you had it in sort of one package, if you didn't have all these various forms and you had a basic income grant and you had this thing and that thing, at least sort of make it into one thing. Um, the government could, if it really did care about poorer South Africans, it could finance healthcare for them through state sponsored vouchers, which they can then choose to spend at hospitals. Again, playing into that competition aspect so you make sure that certain hospitals deliver if they provide that they get paid more if they provide good services um, the government could also deregulate the industry and eliminate certificates of need and other political interferences all of this increases the cost and ultimately consumers have to pay that cost they can also reduce uh, prices and increasing healthcare and increase healthcare quality through competition they can allow the private sector to train doctors and nurses without arbitrary state-dictated limits. And I would recommend that people go and look at the work that Solidarity has done in this regard. Mm -hmm. They can encourage income-producing medical tourism. They can retain skilled South Africans and attract others by removing the limit on skilled foreign doctors. They can deregulate medical schemes so they can offer their clients exactly what they want. I believe last year it might have been Discovery wanted to offer a very sort of low-end mm -hmm. uh, package kind of thing. And there was issues around the Council for Medical Schemes and it was it wasn't allowed and it was allowed again. It just plays into uncertainty and medical schemes not being able to give, come up with new products that their low-income clients might want. The government can also deregulate pharmacies. They can strengthen the intellectual property rights of pharmaceutical innovators and they can remove price controls because these send mixed messages to the industry and they lead to less healthcare supply and lower quality service. They can speed up the registration of clinical trials and they can give those who pay for their own healthcare a tax deduction. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, they can allow low-cost insurance options where hopefully you'll have new insurers and medical schemes breaking into the market. Then you deal with the competition commission worry about discovery and bonitas and med scheme having this quote-unquote monopolistic um, monopoly on the sector. And then you allow new ones to come in and a sort of breath of fresh air, which will keep the big ones honest and allow more people to enter the market. For sure. Yeah, and I think I mean, there's a great, great array of, of solutions and, and possibilities, which I guess would take a, a lot of political will. Um, and I, I think at FAN, we, we, we advocate for uh, an honest, effective, and accountable and limited government. And I think you need all of those factors to, to really play in here to ultimately uh, help people. 
um, yeah. and give them access to healthcare. Um, so, Chris, before we before we before we let you go, uh, just like like to give you an opportunity just to tell us where people can find some of your work, where where they can get hold of you, um, and maybe where they can read up more on some of these awesome solutions that you've given us. No, thanks again for for having me on. So anyone who's interested can go to www.freemarketfoundation.com for all of our articles, research, all of our reports on the different areas that we cover. We focus on property rights a lot, economic growth, consumer rights, the rule of law, um, trade and innovation as well. You can also please check out our YouTube channel. Um, just search Free Market Foundation. We've got lots of podcasts and episodes there, all that kind of stuff with a wide array of guests that uh, you can listen to and get their insights into these uh, issues as well. And again, you can find my writing in a few places, such as the FMF website. You can find it on the Daily Friend site and also at the Rational Standard. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll, we'll link all of those in uh, the description and in some pinned comments. And um, yeah, so Chris, thank you so much for your time. I think before we before we head out, I'm just going to just flight uh, an ad that uh, that was put together by the Institute of Race Relations in towards the end of 2020. And just to leave you with a bit of food for thought, and then we'll wrap up there. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining. And to you guys listening at home, don't forget to subscribe at Badger, to Badger of Liberty on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on YouTube as well as Instagram TV. With that said, your freedom is worth fighting for. And we leave you with this little bit uh, of video to, to, to chew over uh, as we leave you on this beautiful Wednesday evening. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>